And it is a joy and privilege to be here, up here with uh, in where am I? Where am I? Rock Falls, Illinois. Okay. Sometimes I don't know. I was um, we were we traveled so much and so hard. I uh, I stood up and I said, "Well, it's good to be with you guys here in this state." And I named the state, and that was not the state that I was in. And um, so, uh, what a blessing that was. Amen. People looked at me like I was crazy, but that's okay. Uh, we are, um, I just want to explain a little bit about our ministry to you today. Uh, God has called us to work in Kenya. And uh, we work with a mission board called IBOM. That stands for International Baptist Outreach Missions. And uh, what we do is we try to plant churches with national pastors uh, in Kenya. I believe that uh, that the greatest way to reach a nation is through the national pastors there. Uh, you say, well, what is a national? Well, a national is somebody who's been born in that country, been raised in that country, knows the language, knows the culture, and has no issues fitting in. Now, uh, I do. I would have some issues fitting in in Kenya. I'd have to learn the culture a little bit, and uh, and I would just be uh, like stick out like a sore thumb. And uh, and so, and for many many reasons, of course. But um, well, what we do is we try to help these uh, these national pastors. Uh, we have a Bible college out there in West Kenya uh, that we are training men for the ministry right now. We have uh, seventy five men enrolled in that college right now, uh, trying to teach them the Word of God. And when they're done with that their schoolwork there at that college, what we try to do is we try to uh, with come alongside them and help them start a church. And there's many ways that we do that. We provide training in the college, uh, but we also try to provide some financial support for these men. Uh, a, a national in Kenya, a man in Kenya, can live full time off 90 American dollars a month, and that's the equivalent of you and I making several thousand a month. And uh, so they can live off that. And uh, what we do is we try to give them $90 a month for up to three years and uh, and help them so that they can go full-time starting their church and getting the thing indigenous real quick. And then at the end of the, at the, end of the three years time period there, we try to build them a church building. Now, um, I'm not sure how exactly big this is, but I would say that uh, the, from the pulpit here to the clock there, that's about the size of the buildings that we build these guys in Kenya. And we can build, we can buy land, title, building, and everything right out the door for right at ten thousand dollars. And uh, so that's what we've done. We've done that. Uh, well, right now we are at uh, with IBM. We are at sixty-one churches in Kenya. And uh, so the Lord has really been blessing. I was there in uh, in this past August and, and for ten days in the country. We saw two hundred eighty-three people saved while we were there. Uh, we had uh, I think this past year in IBM we had eight new church buildings go up. Uh, we had a uh, container sent into the country with forty thousand whole Bibles there. Uh, and then, uh, and then we distributed. While we we're in the country, we distributed about 3,500 of those. And then, in one of our churches, our main church, the Malaba Outreach Baptist Church in Malaba, Kenya, we had a big day, a big Sunday, a special promotion Sunday, and we had a high day of 2,300 people on in attendance. Amen. We had actually uh, we have speakers, uh, uh, some a little bit, but we had two very similar to that speaker right there. And uh, what we did was we actually had to open up one of the windows and stick it in the window, and 500 people had to sit in the yard so that we could preach to them too. So that's a good problem to have, amen. And uh, so we did that, and God was blessing over there. Uh, but we are we've been traveling around three years now, full time, uh, going in and out of Kenya every year. Uh, and uh, we have uh, we say, well, why don't you live there? Well, there's a lot of tax purposes and things like that for reasons we don't we don't live there full time. But uh, we go in and out of the country plenty. And uh, God has been blessing over there. And so uh, I want you to do this. Uh, at the end of church here, Don't please don't do this right in the middle of my message. That would hurt my feelings. Amen. Uh, but out there on the table, we have uh, prayer cards. 
And I want to show you one of these real fast. Um, these are in bookmark form. Uh, so that you can put them in your Bible. And it's got a beautiful picture of my wife, and then I'm standing next to her, amen. And, uh, and, uh, and then right here on the, on the very back, it's got all our contact information. Uh, if there's ever anything I can do for you, let me know. Uh, just please don't call me at 3 o'clock in the morning. Wanting me to bail you out of jail, I won't do it, amen. And uh, first of all, I don't have the money. Second of all, I'm too tired, amen. But, uh, uh, we'd love to be a blessing help to you. And now, how many of you use email on a regular basis? Would you raise your hand to use email? Okay, praise the Lord. Uh, on our table there, we have a sign-up sheet. And if you would, please legibly write your name and your email down. Uh, I would definitely love to, uh, love to send you our email updates. Uh, I have a list right now of over 1,500 people that pray for us. Uh, that uh, that get our email updates regularly. I uh, just sent one out actually just uh, I think two days ago, and uh, so I would love for you to be on our, our prayer team. I guess you could say uh, praying for us and, let, and just let you know how you can pray for us, things like that. And so uh, I'd love for you to sign up that way. Uh, Preacher, now do do I have you on our uh, email update list? List okay. I need to get you on there, and uh, so you can pray for me, and uh, and that would be wonderful. And I'm glad to be here with God's chosen frozen. Amen. Up here in Rock Falls, hallelujah. And I uh, hate this snow. I hate snow. When I was a little boy, we had a snowstorm, a blizzard in 1993. You still go anywhere in Atlanta, you talk about the blizzard of 93. Oh, they'll light up like, like a Christmas tree and tell you all about it. And, uh, and, and when I was in school, it was, uh, I think I was in third grade or so, and in 1993, uh, a snowstorm of the century came through and dropped three inches of snow on the ground. And uh, I did not go to school for two weeks. And um, the governor of the state of Georgia got on TV and declared a state of emergency. Beg people, don't leave your homes. You will die. And, um, and just just stay home. And, and try to, if you have to, eat your cat just to survive. Amen. And, uh, and uh, amen. I felt God when I said that. Amen. But, um, oh, praise God. I uh, I don't like cats. Anybody here like cats? You like cats? Okay. All right. Praise the Lord. Most of you. I need to be quiet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I say things I shouldn't. Amen. And uh, what a blessing. Um, well, I won't tell you a cat story that I know anyhow. <laughs> but anyway, um, I could tell you a funny, funny cat story, but uh, I won't do it. But anyhow... Um, Let's just take a moment. Anybody have any questions about Kenya or anything that I might be able to help you with real quick? Anybody? Anybody? Going once? Going twice? Sold. What a great crowd. Amen. All right. Let's do this today. Take your Bibles to Luke chapter number 8. And uh, I'm going to preach to you about three or four hours this morning. And uh, that'll be a blessing. Praise God. I like this church. Man, I love it. I love it. I love it. Amen. Preacher, thank you for letting me come. Uh, it is a joy to be here with you. And uh, I had a good hotel room last night. Amen. What a blessing. That doesn't happen very much. Sometimes sometimes uh, when we get in these hotels, I make my wife stay up at night and fight the roaches back. We didn't have to do that last night. And, uh, you know, we'll take shifts. She'll do two hours. I'll do two hours fighting them roaches. In it. And uh, but, uh, but we didn't have to do that last night. And I appreciate that. Luke chapter 8. If we could stand together for just a moment. And we'll start in verse number 22. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. <clears throat> And we'll begin reading here, and and uh, and, and I want to, to read this text. I want to announce to you uh, the topic on what I'm going to preach on, and then we'll uh, we'll pray together for just a moment. Luke chapter eight verse twenty two says this: Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. 
And what are those next four words? Let's say those out loud together. And they launched forth. Amen. I like that right there. The Bible says in verse 26, And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time, and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. Verse 35 says this, Then they went out to see what was done. And by the way, this man had a headlong encounter with Jesus Christ and it changed his life. I, I would suggest you, he might have got saved. Amen. The Bible says, Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed. Notice this, Sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And this morning with God's help, I want to try to preach to you on the subject of the maniac of Gadara. And we'll pray together for just a moment. Father, I pray that you'd bless now your word. I pray that you'd illuminate our minds, help us to see truth off these pages. Lord, help, help, help things just jump off the pages and speak to our hearts this morning. And God, I do pray that you'd empower your preacher. Lord, this is the, I believe, the tenth time this, this week I'll be preaching. And Lord, I pray you'd help my voice to uh, be strong. I pray to God that you'd help me to be refreshed and renewed. And God, I pray that you'd please give me power as I preach. Lord, may as we give an invitation here in a little while, may people uh, flood the altar, uh, repentant, crying, weeping, and begging God for, for help and strength. And God, I do pray that you'd, that you'd use me to uplift the name and glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ this very morning. Lord, we'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. <clears throat> I uh, I want to start in verse number twenty-two, and then we'll 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 go on. I promise you, I'll be done by four o'clock. Okay. And um, <clears throat> the Bible says, I, we say, why do you say that, Spencer? Because I like seeing people get nervous. Amen. <laughs> I have that effect on folks, and I really really like it. And um, the Bible says in Acts, or excuse me, Luke chapter eight, verse twenty-two. There it says, now it came to pass. On a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, talking about Jesus, and he said unto them, he said, let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And so get this picture in your mind. The Lord Jesus is walking upon the earth. He's doing His earthly ministry. He's healing the sick. And, and, and thank God He's doing that. He's, he's making the blind to see. The dumb are talking. I mean, He's got quite a following. I mean, never has anybody ever seen anybody quite like Jesus Christ. And, and I want to say, I've never met anybody quite like Him either. Amen. I've never met anybody who could love me so much. And I've never met anybody who could take my pain and take my sickness and and God, and that could that could bind up my broken heart. I've never met anybody quite like Jesus. Uh, but the disciples were following him and walking with him. And there came a day where the Lord just said, "Hey guys, let's get in this ship right here, and uh, and I want to go across to Sea of Galilee, right right that way over there to where them gathering people live. And I want to, I, I think there's something I'd like to do over there. And uh, let me just say right there that the Lord Jesus has a missions-minded heart." Uh, see, God is working here at Rock Falls of this church. And God is working here in Illinois. And I, I thank God for all the good churches in Illinois. Uh, there's Yankees in Illinois, but there's good churches in Illinois too. And Yankees somehow go to those churches. Amen. Uh, I, Yankees make good Christians every now and then. Amen. 
And uh, But see, the Lord doesn't want to just be here. The Lord wants to be everywhere, working in everybody's heart and being a part of everybody's life. And I want to suggest to you that that is missions. You see, we think as Americans that we've got God in our back pocket. We think that God only exists here in this country. But I'm telling you that God wants to be involved in Africa. God wants to do a work in Kenya. God wants to do a work in Asia. God wants to do a work in Europe. God wants to do a work in Australia. God wants to do a work in South America. God wants to work everywhere. And Jesus has things that He has in mind that He'd like to do in these places. Amen. But the thing is that we've got to understand is that the only way Jesus is going to get to these places and get to these people is if you and I take Him there. And see, you say, well, why is it, why is it that way? I don't know why it's that way. If I was God, I would just, with my finger, write the gospel message of Christ in the stars. If I was God, I would, I would commission angels to come to this earth. I don't know if they'd have big billboards or what, but they would, they would somehow uh, explain the gospel of Jesus Christ to mankind. I would send the angels to do that, but God didn't do that. God said, I'm going to save a group of people. I'm going to save them from their sin. I'm going to, I'm going to seal them with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to come into their life and come into their heart. And I'm going, to, I'm going to save that crowd. And I'm going to call that crowd the church. And that crowd right there, that's the crowd that I'm going to use to reach this world with my gospel. And there's no other way around it, church. It is our job to get the gospel to these people lost and dying world. And when they got on the boat, they obeyed God. And uh, verse number 23 through 25, you find that they went through a storm. And, uh, and, and let me just say this. Anybody who sets out to do God's will with their life is going to find opposition from the prince of the power of the air, Satan. Amen. I find that interesting little correlation there. And so they went there and the Lord brought them through. And verse 26 I want to give you three points because I'm a Baptist preacher and we're supposed to give three points and outline a poem and a tap dance. Amen. And uh, is that it? I didn't know you could tap dance. Oh, yes, I'm pretty good at it. Amen. And doesn't look half as bad as you think either. Amen. Verse 26, I want to give you my first point today. And this is pretty simple. Uh, number one, I want to give you the presence of sin in other lands. The presence of sin in other lands. Look what it says. It says, And they arrived in the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth the land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils a long time, and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. Now let me, let me just stop right there and suggest to you, this guy is in sin real bad. You say, well, you're being judgmental. No, I ain't looking at the guy. Running around with no clothes on. Sounds like some people that I know about. I mean, look, the, the more sin you're in, the less clothes you wear. Amen. And I will never apologize for saying that either. You say, you know, let me just say this. Let me say, crazy people walk around with no clothes on. You say, well, I just walk around half naked. Well, you have crazy then. Amen. Go with me back to Mark chapter number 5. Let me give you this here real quick. And... and and knowing my background, you would understand that I, I know pretty well what sin is like. I know what sin does to people. I lived 18 years of my life in sin and wickedness and, and all kinds of stuff. And so I've got a pretty good understanding about what sin is. 
And I find in Mark chapter number 5 and verse number 2 uh, a little bit about this man. Let me just give you some of the marks of people that are in sin. Uh, if I could suggest these things to you. It says, <clears throat> number, uh, in verse number 3, it says, "...who had his dwelling among the tombs." And let me just say this. Uh, number one, people that are in sin real bad are always attracted to things having to do with death. Y'all ever notice that? I mean, when we when we travel, we like to stop at these malls every now and then. And uh, there's a store, uh, there's stores in these malls that I would never one day in my life ever step foot in that place. I mean, you, you walk up there and it's like, oh! And there's skulls all over the, 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 the window there. There's spider webs and there's graves and there's blood. And it's like, oh my God, it's like a, the most morbid, wicked, sick thing you could ever imagine. People that are in sin are always attracted to things having to do with death. And he wasn't living in the rescue mission. He wasn't living with his uncle until he got back on his feet. He wasn't living at the homeless shelter. The guy was sleeping in a graveyard. How nuts is that? And by the way, let me just say that the whole secular music industry is straight up wicked. It's straight up out of hell. Every Metallica CD that you find has graves on it, has blood on it, has death on it, has wickedness on it, has morbid nonsense on it. I'm telling you, that stuff's straight out of hell. It's sinful, it's wicked, it's rotten, and it's wicked. Amen. Is it any coincidence to you that rap music has so much allusion to death in it? Is it any coincidence to you that there's a genre of music out there called death metal? You know why? Because that stuff's straight out of the devil's hell and it's sinful. And it said he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Now I want to suggest to you right there that this man had probably been locked up many, many times. I would suggest to you that he had handcuffs hanging off his wrist and handcuffs hanging off his feet. He'd been in trouble with the jail. He was on first name basis with a local sheriff. I mean, he had been just locked up. He'd probably been on cops three or four times, I'd imagine. And, uh, I mean, just a terrible disaster. And, uh, they probably, the police station probably had a special code just for him because they called, they had so many calls about him. And every Friday night they was locking him up. Every Saturday night they was locking him up. Every Wednesday night they was locking him up. I mean, he was in and out of jail and in and out of jail and in and out of jail. His whole life was a wreck. And why is that? Well, people that are in sin are always getting caught up with the law. And that's what this man was doing. And by the way, that's King James Bible preaching right there. If the book says it, I'm going to say it. Amen. The Bible says in verse 5, uh, notice this uh, thirdly here, and always night and day he was in the mountains and the tombs What's that next word right there? He was crying. All the time, up there in the mountains, weeping and crying. You ever been around a drunk before? My dog ran over the... I mean, nonsense. You know why? Because sin makes you an emotional basket case. You just gotta watch cops one time to find that out. <laughs> I mean, 
My goodness, man. I was watching cops one day, and you know how that always starts. The cameraman's in the passenger seat. You got this buff young cop right out of the army. He's like, Yeah, I've been, I moved to Pensacola here three years ago, and, uh, you know, I had my time in the army. Had a good time, yeah. And, uh, oh, hang on. progress right now. Oh, we gotta go. Ooh, like, woo! They fly off there and, and then they fly across town. The cop's going 100 miles an hour through a 35 mile an hour zone trying to get to this, this call that he's got. And he gets to the door and he pulls up and there's a trailer. And he says, Alright, alright, let's go, let's go. And, and, and inside the trailer you hear, I want to kill you! I'm going to whoop you! And screaming and hollering, and you hear plates busting up against the wall. To you, I mean, it's like, and the cop's like, "Oh, get down, get down! Oh, this is a tough one! Oh man!" And so the cop kicks the front door down, goes in there, and he and he and he, he has to he has to beat the woman down, put her in handcuffs. He has to beat the beat the man up, spray him with pepper spray, spray the chihuahua with pepper spray, and he's got to he's got to take that guy and put him in handcuffs, beat him all up, and then once the smoke clears, and they've got him in the back of the car. They look at the man. And say, sir, what is going on in your house? And he'll say something like this. I told that woman I don't like pork chops on Tuesday. (laughs) Duh! What is wrong with you? But you know what? People that are in sin... Their emotions are out of control. Why do people? I, I talked to a St. Louis County police officer the other day. He, he told me he said he said there were two guys, two brothers, living in the same house, and one of them stabbed the other one the other day because there was one pork chop left in the house. And they wanted to fight over it. <laughs> stabbed his own brother and killed his own brother. You say, well, well you know. Well, you know what that is? That's sin. That's what that is. And sin makes you stupid. And then look what it says right here. And he was crying, and then what was he doing? Say that out loud with me. He was cutting himself with stones. You know, people that are in sin, they abuse their body. I mean, you see them, and it's like, I mean, I've seen some folks at the mall, it looked like, they were on a boat and they fell face first into a tackle box. There's so much metal in their face. I mean, I mean, I mean, the holes here, 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 here. You know, I mean, I wonder how do you eat with all that junk in your mouth? I mean, how do you even blow your nose? You got six rings in your. What is wrong with you? But that's what people do that are in sin. Now look, uh, let's see here. Uh, look, and I believe maybe he had a suicidal tendency or two, and. That's all awful, and I hate all that. But go back to me to Luke chapter 8 real quick. I mean, we're, that's where our message is. We're going to try to stay there. But it says that this man was in his sin. He was, he was living a life of depravity. And by the way, young people, you better take a close look at this man's life because this is the, this is the route that VH1 takes you on. This is the route that MTV takes you on. This is the end of the road of sin. And you may have a good time for a little while in sin, but that right there is the end of the road, and that's the direction you're going if you go the way of the world. Sin's not fun. Sin's not pretty. Sin's not glamorous. And if you think it is glamorous, how many times has Charlie Sheen been in rehab the past three years? Because it's not fun, and it's not, it's not happiness at the end of that road. It's a life of misery and pain. 
But see, this man, if he'd have died in this condition, he'd have died and gone to hell. If he'd have died in this condition, he'd have died lost without Christ. But I thank God that not only is there the presence of sin, but I thank God that when it gets really dark in a guy's life, when it gets really bad in a man's life, that's when Jesus comes by. And Jesus can do something about a man. And Jesus can save a man. I talked to you about the presence of sin for a little while. But let me for just a few moments talk to you about the power of Jesus Christ. This man had been trying to be helped. I believe that the law enforcement had tried to help them, but they couldn't help them. I believe that the psychiatrist had given them every drug there was to give them. They put them on every serotonin rehab they can help her. That's hard to say. Uh, and all that kind of stuff. They they doped him up, and they I mean they put him on downers. They put him on opers. They put him on antidepressants. They put him on everything there was to put him on, but it didn't work. I believe psychiatrists brought him in and laid him on the couch and said, tell me about your childhood. Tell me about your mama. What is your mama mean to you? Is that why you're mean to people? Because your mama was mean to you? And all that kind of nonsense. You know what that is? That's, that's garbage what that is. Yeah. My daddy was mean to me too, but I turned out okay. Amen. Name somebody whose daddy wasn't mean to him. I mean, really. The Bible says, about, and I believe it's in Hebrews chapter 12, about chastisement. It says that fathers chastise us for their pleasure. Amen. You look that up later. Amen. But I, you know, and, and by the way, that whole line about this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, that's a lie. <laughs> that is, I, that, I mean, I knew my daddy's lying to me when he said that. Amen. Liar. Anyhow. But they had tried to help him. They tried to talk to him. I believe maybe the counselor from the public school had come and sat him down and told him that all of his problems were because he didn't have enough self-esteem and taught him an exercise to wake up every morning and sit in front of the mirror and say, you are good, you are smart, you are, you are everything. All you got to do is capture your dreams. But that didn't really work for him. And I believe that uh, maybe even religion had tried to help him. I believe maybe the Southern Baptist pastor had brought him a Rick Warren book of on the purpose driven life and said, Your problem, son, is that you don't have any purpose and you're trying to you're seeking for purpose. But that wasn't his problem. His problem was sin. And the only solution for sin is a savior named Jesus, my friend. And in verse number 35, you find that this man had an encounter with God. And God did something in his life that nobody else could do. God did something that psychiatry couldn't do. God did something that law enforcement couldn't do. God did something that, that modern medicine couldn't do. God did something that, that neo-evangelical religion couldn't do. God saved his soul. His problem was a sin. And the solution to his sin was an encounter with Jesus Christ. And in verse 35 it says this, Then they went out to see what was done. And came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed. Notice this. Sitting at the very feet of Jesus Christ. This man wasn't running around the tombs anymore. Wasn't running around screaming and crying anymore. This man had gotten some, some structure in his life. And he had calmed down a lot. And he something had changed inside this guy. That he wasn't running around terrorizing that town anymore. But he was sitting at the very feet of Almighty God. Hallelujah. Let me just say this, when you get saved, God puts something in your heart, a desire, a thirst that comes in your heart where you've got to sit at the very feet of Jesus. You've got to sit there in this Bible and read God's words and read His and read His thoughts and read His mind. You sit at the feet of Jesus in this very book right here. Thank God. 
He wasn't seeking God, but God wasn't seeking him. And after God sought him and saved him and sealed him, he started seeking after the very words of Almighty God. Amen. When I got saved, I had a desire to read the Bible. I had a desire to read God's Word. I would sit there in my bed at night as an 18-year-old kid and I would turn off the TV. I'd turn off the video games. I would sit there and I would read that book for hours and hours and hours. And it, it was just something inside of me wasn't happy. Something inside of me wasn't, wasn't, just, wasn't satisfied until I got a dose of the words of Almighty God. And I sat there at the very feet of Jesus hearing His voice and, and I would shout and cry and rejoice. You say, well, why did you do that? Because I'd been made a new creature. And see, before I got saved, I was a child of the devil. And I desired the devil's things. I desired the devil's entertainment. I desired the devil's ways. I desired the devil's... I mean, I desired everything that the devil had because I was his child. But when I got saved, I got regenerated. Y'all know that word? Regenerated. I was changed. I was brought into the family of God. I was made a joint heir of Jesus Christ. I was adopted into the family of God. And when I got into the family of God, I started desiring... Different things. Amen. And one of those was reading my Bible. And then it says he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. What's that next word? Look at me. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse, uh, uh, verse 35. It says he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. What's that next word? That's a good one. Not only did God change his heart, but I believe God changed a little bit of his outside too. You see, here's the thing. The outside is a reflection of the inside. It really is. And you can't, you can't say, well, now, nah, you know, I'm, I mean, I, I'm getting tattoos that say, Hail Satan on my forehead, but I love Jesus just like you do. Not really. I would dispute that just a little bit. Uh, I was at uh, the gym the other day. I go to the gym. They say, why do you do that? Because I'm fat and trying to fix it. Amen. <laughs> and um, there was a guy on a treadmill there. And I'm not being mean to the guy, but but the guy had, I mean, his whole arms were covered in tattoos, just covered. And he had these, I mean, up his neck, coming up his neck into his ear, over his ear, I mean, all kinds of stuff like that. And you know what? You know what was his problem? His problem was the inside. His problem was that he wasn't saved. And I tried to talk to him a little bit, and he, he went, I don't want nothing to do with God. Leave it alone. I was like, okay, sorry, crazy. All right, anyhow. But you know what? When the Lord changes a man, when the Lord changes a man's heart, the outside changes a little bit too. I, I quit going to certain places. I quit saying certain things. I quit living certain ways. And that's because God changed me. You say, you're trying to be, you're trying to be religious and trying to be holy? No, I've just been made that way by the power of God. And that's, how, that's what it says right there. And then it says this, He was clothed, and in his right mind. You know, things just don't really make sense until the Lord's in his right place. Amen. I mean, you know, when a person is a total walking disaster in many cases until he finds the Lord Jesus Christ. And then things start to make a little bit of sense in his life. I, uh, I remember, and I've seen the greatest conviction, I have to say, that I have. The greatest, most deep, most powerful conviction that I have is the fact that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know that the Lord changes sinners' lives. Amen. I've seen it in Kenya. I've seen it so many times. I, uh, when I was in Kenya, I, uh, we, had a, we gave a 
preached open air service just uh, somewhat like we do in America with the tent meetings and things like that. And how many have been to an old fashioned tent meeting? Anybody? Okay, praise the Lord. And uh, man, God's in that kind of stuff. But we gave it uh, just to open uh, in an open air meeting. We gave an invitation, and this young man crawled forward during the invitation. And I talked to him, and I could smell immediately that he was drunk. He was out of his mind drunk. And I said, what can we do for you? He said, I, he said, he said, can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? And he was crying. And I said, well, what do you need help with? He said, he said, I'm drunk. And he said, my name is so and so. He said, I'm 19 years old and I've been drunk every day of my life since I was 13. Can you please help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? I said, no, I can't help you, but I know somebody named Jesus and He can help you. And uh, we had somebody lead that guy to Christ. And he stood up with tears in his eyes and said, God, help me. God, help me. And then I left and we left him there at the church. And, and I came back the next year. And there was this tall, good-looking, clean, 20-year-old young man standing there. And he came up to me and said, do you remember me? I said, no, who are you? He said, well, do you remember that young man that came forward last year that was drunk, that uh, needed help? And I said, yes, yes. Where's he at? He goes, that's me. And I said, well, really? He said, he said, yeah. He said, ever since I got saved, ever since that day that I met Jesus, I've never touched one drop of liquor. I've been in church every Sunday. God has been speaking to my heart. And I've changed by the power of God through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I got my life right. Hallelujah to God. And I'm looking at some of you today. Some of you, you'd be in jail if it weren't for Jesus. Some of you, you'd be on skid row if it weren't for Jesus. Some of you, you'd be out of your mind divorced three times over if it weren't for Jesus. Some of you, I'm talking to you right now, you ought to thank God and shout and praise the Lord that the Lord has kept you from some things, that He's changed your life and worked in your heart and saved you from being in jail, saved you from getting killed out in sin. Thank God for the power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I, I've seen so many people get saved. I've seen Muslims get saved. We even had a witch doctor get saved out there in Kenya one time. Woman singing in the choir now that she used to be a witch. Amen. And, uh, and that's the power of Christ. That's the power of Christ. But let me give you this lastly real quick. And uh, with, the, with the less than two hours I have left to preach, let me give you this real quick. Uh, I gave you the presence of sin. I, I gave you the power of Jesus Christ. And He can save, man. He can save people. And I'm excited about that. Now, let me give you this lastly. Let me give you the purpose of your salvation. Look at me in verse number 38. And let me just say while you're looking there, that God saved you for a reason. He didn't save you so you could sit on a church pew for the rest of your life. God saved you to do something with it. The Bible says in verse 38, Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thine own house, and notice this, and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way, and notice this word, published. That's, that sounds like gospel tracts, doesn't it? Published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. How many of you say God has changed your life just like this man? Would you raise your hand today? Well, you know what? You know what your job is now? Your job now is to make sure that everybody knows about it. See, we live in a very secular society where people are, I mean, Discovery Channel and all these dummies walking around talking about, well, the Bible is not really literal. It's not really, it's not really historically accurate. Uh, blah, 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 whatever. 
And they're saying they're doing everything they can to destroy the credibility of this book. And they'll, they'll say all kinds of dumb, erroneous arguments. Well, did you know King James was a homosexual? It doesn't matter. I mean, the Bible's the Bible no matter what King James did. I mean, look, that's nonsense. Leave all that alone. But they can argue the text. They can argue the miracles. They can argue the Texas Receptus versus out. They can argue all that stuff. But they cannot argue... That we had a bunch of people in the church today. You used to be a drunk, but now you're sober, living right. You used to be on your way to, on your road to sin, but now you're living a holy, godly life. You used to be a wicked, vile sinner, but one day you heard this book preach, and somebody told you you weren't right, and somebody told you you need to get saved, and you came to an altar, and you prayed a prayer, and asked Jesus to come into your heart, and your life was changed fully, forever. They cannot doubt that. Argue the book all you want to, but you can't argue when folks get saved and their lives get changed, when drunks get sober, when, when wicked women get clean, when drug addicts get clean. You can't argue that kind of stuff. And that's the purpose of salvation. You and I are supposed to be advertisement for the power of the Gospel. You know, when I got saved, uh, my brother noticed real quick, he, uh, he, me and him used to listen to wicked music together. But when I got saved, I quit listening to that kind of stuff. And I, I went to him one day. I said, "You need to stop listening to this trash. You need to get all." That. And he looked at me and he said, "He said you taught me to listen to it." And I said, "But things are different now. I got saved. Don't you understand?" And I was mean to him. I said, "I got saved. Don't you understand?" I said, "I said that that stuff's wicked. That stuff's wrong. Quit listening to that stuff." He said, well, I'm, I don't care. I'm going to keep listening to it. So I did what every young man did. I went and told my mom. And, um, <laughs> and I brought her in there. I said, listen to what your little boy is listening to. And, and I turned it up. And it was some godless rap song. Amen. And by the way, that stuff godless, 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 freakish godless stuff. And uh, mama said, well, you, you taught it to him. I said, but yeah, those days are behind me now. And you know what? My brother told me years later, he said, he said, when you did that, you made me so mad. He was 13, I was 18. He said, if I was bigger, I'd have killed you. <laughs> but he said this, he said, I knew that when you did that to me, I knew it. He said, I knew something had changed about you. And he said, it made me curious. And, and you know what? That next Sunday, I think it was Tuesday night that I did that to him. That Sunday, he came to church and he got saved. You know why? Because my life proved the validity of the power of God. Let's pray. Father, help us now. Uh, please do something real in our hearts. Please, I pray you bless now. and Just, Lord, do Your work. Lord, I preached the message. I did what I could. I pray that You'd please bless now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. How many say God spoke to my heart during the message today? Would you raise your hand? God spoke to my heart. Amen, amen. Hands all over the building. Father, please bless those now as the pastor comes in Jesus' name. Let's all stand together at this time, head bowed, eyes, heads bowed, eyes closed.